over there eventually. I'm going to put this up so you can see what's going on. Uh, how's that? The chat is here. I am going to refresh this to make sure I've got the chat. And uh, why is it gone full screen? Uh, good, that's fine. Everyone's here. Top chat. No, I want live chat. There we go, live chat. Uh, to everyone who's in the chat, hello. Uh, hello. Wait a minute. Let's, let's get our little faces up. Let's, let's do this now. There we are. Well, hello everyone. Hello. It's it's, hello, it's one minute past. It's one minute past seven, which means that we're fashionably late for um, tonight's rail matter. As ever, how's the sound? Tell me about the sound, everyone. Is it okay? Uh, people hear me. What's the sound balance, Alex? How's the weather in Edinburgh just now? It's absolutely glorious in Edinburgh this evening. Twenty-three degrees, no wind. <laughs> Evening drinks are high um, in Leith. Plenty of people out and about, obviously maintaining the correct distance, of course. Of course, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah, It's lovely. Beautiful. Good. Um, people, so what's the sound balance, everyone? Let me know. Alex is um, coming through nice and clearly. Uh, both of us apologise for the fan on his poor laptop. Um, yes. Yeah, everyone hears the fan. You're going to have to cope with the fan. Uh, just, you know, no pressure, Alex, but you've currently got, like, uh, editors of substantial railway publications and representatives from the Netherlands and all sorts, oh, lots of, lots and lots of people uh, watching right now, watching your postage stamp sized face. Um, right, oh, I, just, I, I always got such a nice feeling at the start of a rail natter because I go into the chat and before I've even started the stream for five minutes, people are already nattering and saying hello to each other, which is really nice. Uh, I just noticed there's a bit, let's ignore the fact I got a fly in me water. Um, it's really hot and I got heat stroke, so I'm drinking water this, this let's tell you what, let's do this. Let's let's go. We're a side sight and see Alex's face properly. Hello, everyone. I'm drinking water. Stroke? I got heat struck a couple of days ago. Yeah, I basically collapsed in the middle of a call. Cheers. Hopefully it's too warm today. Then hopefully you don't collapse today. Well, if I collapse during the feed, it'll be broadly similar to the kind of the elevated chaos that normally happens. Um, okay, as a top tip from that I learned from the chat last time, if you've got a question you want me to spot. Um, uh, then uh, at me into the comment because it helps me to sort of spot them from general good good stuff in the chat. I love the fact that the live chat is just people he saying hello to each other and having general conversations. But if you want to ask a question, then at me into it because it comes up red and it's really obvious for me to scroll up and find it. That's my that's uh, Gareth's top rail natter tip. Anyway, um, what time? Nineteen oh three. Alex, let's uh, let's kick off and then we can do some introductions. Um, let's just let's just kick off. Uh, all I'm going to say is, people are enjoying the fan a lot. Uh, they think it's my PC though, because they've seen pictures of the wires hanging out of my PC, so they think it's mine. So we'll pretend it's my PC and not your poor laptop. Right. right. Anyway, yeah. anyway, without further ado, um, let's kick off tonight's rail natter. As the 225 fades out, um, I'm very pleased to say tonight's guest for Real Natter is my very good friend and uh, all-round awful human being, Alex Priestley. Here he is. Uh, no, he's, he's lovely, and he's here to talk to us about... Yeah, that's my, that's my power intro. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, no one else has had an introduction like that. I'm, I'm nice to everyone else, but uh, yeah, not so tonight. No, Alex is here to talk about weather and railways. 
Hi, Alex. Yes. In- introduce yourself in your own words. Hello. Own words. Well, as you as you put, I'm a, I'm a snow nerd. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I I studied weather and snow at Edinburgh University along with you. You studying engineering at Edinburgh University. That's where we started our escapade, isn't it? Um, and <laughs> yeah. from there, I went on to work for the for the Met Office as a weather forecaster for um, a few years in a few different places. But most of the time was spent in uh, the northeast of Scotland, which I know is a place dear to your heart, Gareth. And so I was in Aberdeen for uh, for several years. Um, and then a few years ago, 2017, I stopped being a weather forecaster, and I've I've come back to Edinburgh to study snow as a PhD student in the in the School of Geosciences at Edinburgh University. So, um, gone back to snow. Started with snow in, at university with you, and we've gone back to snow with a bit of weather forecasting in between. And I like going on trains. Yeah, you do. You're like definitely. Yeah, you wouldn't say you're a full blown like weirdo I'm like not me, a, perhaps. But I'm not a weirdo like he is, no, he, is, no. he is a little bit. He is a little bit. Um, yeah, well, it's funny that you do, it, so this, the, the snow PhD is a funny one. I mean, let's just. I mean, time is always. I mean, let's forget time. It's fine. Um, so the snow PhD is weird because we've known for various reasons. We've known all of the people who've done your essentially it's not your PhD but they're like the role that you're kind of in that picking up the mantle of the snow PhD for like yeah. several generations you know Laura and Mike uh, the last which... two PhD students before me just coincidentally are also quite good friends so it's yeah. uh yeah so I mean what, that they've told me the, the the sort of full uncut version of how my supervisor is and obviously that hasn't put me off so yeah well exactly yeah. it's so, clearly fine. So the, so the question survived. is, who's who's who who is being warmed up to 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 pick up that PhD after you? Is that? I mean, obviously, don't say anything that can't be said. This is a public forum, no. but like, it's interesting to know if is that has that no. chain been broken? Do I have any friends who are wanting to? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Any brass hmm. instrument players yeah. who you want to yeah, bring in? Probably brass instrument players. I'll have a think. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Get them lined up. Um, hmm. Oh, my sound is clipping slightly. Right, okay, I'll turn it down a little bit. Is that is that any better, everyone? Check check if that's the sound. I know it might be clipping a bit. Um, uh, thanks thanks for adding me. What's the lowest temp? Oh, here we go. We've already got questions. People are asking questions that you will have no hope of answering. What is the lowest temperature a points heater can handle? They go down to forty degrees, I think. But the ones in the UK, I think, probably would pack in before then. Uh, yeah, there we are. That's- <laughs> Uh, people are saying my sounds is that sound better uh, people oh, a, fe- a fellow geoscience adjacent obscure PhD greetings from John Christoph and there you go nice. there you go you see that all, it takes all sorts around that it really does take all sorts right uh, let's let's press on so let's get back to the, the slides at hand so there we are um, I'm sure everyone recognises Dolish getting <laughs> smashed to bits there um, the news we're going to do the news first uh, this is the first Class 90 that was in uh, operation. And, and you can see here it's hauling passenger stock. And the reason I put this picture up is because they don't do that anymore as of the, like, earlier. I don't know whether it was earlier this week or uh, Monday or whatever. But, uh, or maybe it's soon. I think it was from, but certainly anyway, today, I think that's it. They're gone for the first time since the 18, 18- when railways started in the Anglia region, they don't have any locomotives hauling passenger stock. And indeed, these Class 90s are now just on freight duties, which is a bit sad, really. The end of a, the British Rail AC locomotive era. Um, so that next, talking of 
things coming to the end of their eras. Uh, Mark III coaches are now being smashed to bits at scale, which, um, in my personal opinion, is, is probably a good thing because they're old and have slam doors, and they're, and they're, which is Victorian, frankly. But, you know, they're popular for lots of reasons. They rode pretty well, and they, they've had a good innings. They've, they've done wonderfully, but they're now being ripped to shreds. So, um, adieu. Uh, right, anyway. Uh, isn't Grand Central getting 90s soon? Yeah, they might re-enter service, that's true. But um, for now, the 90s are, are pausing. Anyway, right. Uh, oh, what else in the news? Yes, this is a plug because I'm the Section Secretary of the York Permanent Way Institution. Uh, the Permanent Way Institute has been putting quite a lot of good uh, seminar videos on YouTube recently. So if, if you really are a massive nerd to the point where you are watching Rail Matters, so you've, you've, you've passed, then you might be interested to go over to the YouTube feed and give them a watch. Anyway, enough of that. That was the news. Uh, let's talk about a Class 66 in a bin bag. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Alex, I don't know if you've got anything to say on the news. It wasn't very yeah, exciting. Uh, that was an unfortunate incident, wasn't it? So that was uh, June 2012, um, just above Loch Treague, so a West Highland line north of Coro Station, south of, of Tullock Station. And um, that Class 66 hauling... I believe freight for the aluminium works in Fort William hit a landslip that was across the line and derailed, then went down a very steep embankment. Yeah, it ran off. It was the, the, and oh. the, dri the driver was fine to the point where he took a load of really good pictures on his phone. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But it, it, um, but yeah. So th this was. Um, so we're going to talk about landslips a little more, but this this just goes to show that they they happen all over the place, but certain places are. Of, are more prone for obvious reasons, and that's gravity. So the steeper a slope uh, is, the more likely, uh, likely you are to get a landslip, obviously. So um, anyone who's looked at the map or been along that railway line or climbed those hills nearby will know that it's a very steep slope down from uh, Stobacurry Screed and right down to the loch about 800 metres below or something. So, um, yeah, so luckily this didn't end up any worse than it was. I mean, it was an absolute mare to get the thing back, wasn't it, Gareth? Uh, yeah, well, we, I was just thinking, the reason this is funny is because we went past quite a few times on our, on, on our way to various escapades. A week or so later, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah and, and, and they'd, had they put it in a placky bag by the time we went past? I'm not sure. I think they might have put it in a plastic bag. Um, yeah. So what was particularly funny... They did have the press trying to take a photo out of the window of the train, unlike um, Alistair on Flickr. Yeah, yeah thanks, Alistair on Flickr, for having the prescience to, to take a, to sneak a picture out of the window of a of a um, of a class 66 in a bin bag um, yeah so I mean the trouble with throwing 100 ton locomotives off the side of a cliff is that actually it's quite hard to get them back and quite expensive and even though they decided not to recover it intact they still had to take all the trees out the, all the nice trees you can see there on the kind of the far side the left hand side here had to get blitzed so they could build a whole road just to take the big bits they sawed it into away so that they, yeah they chopped it up there's a, there's quite there's some funny photos you can find on on the googles uh, of just the cab empty sat in a yard somewhere that that someone's probably ebaying as we speak um yeah so um yeah landslips but also us going off on railway escapades uh, into the highlands i believe we were with our bicycles that time i think i think we we're off to uh hardman merkin perhaps oh is it for one of those oh yeah quite possibly i think it might yeah i think it might have been yeah, yeah. Oh, anyway, no, I, yeah. So, the, 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 where I started full-time employment at the Met Office. Oh, that's nice. Anyway, so uh, there you go. Uh, a, a sixty-six. So the, the point of this slide, apart from being a way to introduce the sort of nonsense we get up to, is to sort of be like, 
Mm, yes, railways and weather can can come into con uh, kind of can compete with each other. Um, in this instance, the, the train was derailed by a landslip, and uh, invariably landslips are triggered by weather events. Um, they're not the weather events aren't necessarily the root cause, but they're often the trigger for landslides, and we're going to touch on that I think in a bit. Anyway, right, next slide. What are we up to? So, uh, oh, okay. We're going to talk about flooding. Uh, yeah, well, well, yeah, flooding. Well, flooding is is not new, obviously. Um, and in my book about rail disasters and weather that I have opened Don't here... Don, show us the book. Show us the book, uh, Alex. It's, it's great. Can it's you see that? <laughs> yeah, it's a... Absolute yeah. corker by a P. Was it P. G. J. Ransom or something? P. J. G. Ransom. P. J. Uh, forgive me. Uh, yeah. Um, so there's a lot of mention of washouts, sort of from the early days of railways, from the mid 1840s and 1850s. But actually, the first sort of proper written records of, of railways being submerged by flooding from frozen, uh, from swollen rivers, was actually as late as 1875. Oh, really? Um, yeah, because there was plenty of railway action going on mm. before then, of course. Uh, but that yeah, so that was and that happened in uh, in Burton on Trent and Nottingham on on the River Trent um, yeah. with the. Uh, it's inter yeah, interesting that it hadn't happened up to that. The sea. Yeah, yeah. Is there is there any particular is there any particular meteorological reason for that? Or, I think there was definitely no meteorological reason for it. What 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 could have been the case is that the railways weren't that widespread by then. I mean, they were becoming much more widespread, of course. But I think in eighteen fifty, there probably weren't anything like as many. Railways, as they were. The, yeah, the explosion happened in the kind of the fifties and sixties. Yeah, um, but also, um, what is it? it says here that the engineers um, perhaps took uh, took to account the received wisdom of the locals um, and and built the, and and surveyed and built the embankments where they were needed more than they might otherwise have done. So they interesting, they went, perhaps. But um, yeah. PG P, P J J or J G Ransom. PJ. P G J G Manson's thoughts. <laughs> That's true or not? Anyway, so right. Uh, so, seventy five onwards, many floods. Many um, floods, yeah. Yeah. and yeah, we picked out. So, so like we picked out a couple. So, if there's a picture of flooding. Um, points for anyone who realizes what are oh, the fans getting worse? Apparently, um, points for. I tell you what, I might be able to fix that if I go to if I do this and then this. It seemed to your poor laptops uh, desperately it's, struggling. It's fine. It, the fans just been the same all the way. For me, at least. Yeah, I think the audio is getting upset. Anyway, so long as it's not horrendous, everyone seems to be reasonably happy. No one's screaming and shouting and saying it's a disaster. Anyway, right. Um, yeah, the bad thing in this situation is that not only have you got a live third rail there, you've also got a live puddle at 750 volts DC. So uh, not the best. Um, right, we're going to move on. Ah, okay, yeah. So pictures of floods. These are recent, aren't they? So we, yeah, I mean, you you procured these images, didn't you? But I think they're almost all from from this February, so February twenty twenty, yeah. um, which was the wettest February on record. Um, and obviously, when you get a, the wettest month on record, you get a lot of flooding, and particularly badly affected. I think were places uh, like Hebden Bridge and the, the the Calder Valley and places like that. But I think it was there was a lot of quite widespread flooding elsewhere too. Um, I was actually out of the country for the whole of February, so I was kind of disassociated from the from getting rained on every single day, which is what normally causes me to remember weather events is being out and experiencing them. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I was in France for a month doing snow nerdery, so that was so that was lucky, and the weather was lovely there. Mm -hmm. um, but um, yeah, February 2020, one of the wettest 
well, the wettest February on record. Okay. Um, yeah. And so that, I mean, that's that's in itself pretty, pretty interesting and you know serious, serious weather yeah, change. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So we got people pointing out. Yeah, you're right. It's one of those. I can't actually see which one it is, but yeah, it's definitely West Yorkshire Passenger Transport yeah. Executive in the in the kind of the blurry mobile phone picture that I've that that actually Network Rail shared that one, so it must have been taken by one of their staff. Um, I yeah. think that's right. You've got. Uh, the really ni- the nice green one. I'm not sure exactly where that is, but it's a good picture of an absolutely su- sub, sub- uh, rather a substantially uh, submerged bit of railway. Um, yeah. The Conway- the one in the bottom corner there is the Conway Valley line, it's and you can see it's been the ballast just been completely wiped out there down to the geosynthetic uh, at the bottom. So the the, the nice material that we pile our ballast on, and then yeah, we've got a nice electrified line full of sog uh, in the in the other picture. I, I think I might be wrong. I think that is um, on the West Coast, but I, I might be... Uh, someone else will correct me there. I think that might be the West Coast mainline, though, north of um, uh, north of Colton or somewhere. Anyway, uh, yes, so everyone's recognising the, the mess that the poor Conway Valley uh, endured. It's had two major closures as a result of massive flooding. So we've, we've, got, we've got a couple of questions uh, have come in already. Uh, Roaming Adekrat asks um, why you haven't simply adjusted the weather so that it's cooler today and the fan doesn't have to work so hard, which is a reasonable question. I did try. Yeah. Um, even, I mean, it's because I'm ex Met Office, I think. This is if it. I'm you don't. By them, then I would have been able to. But, uh, and ex employees are not given that. Uh, privilege anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they take the keys off you, don't they? Yeah. Um, and David Shepherd asks um, how easy it would be to build viaducts in flood risk areas and raise the line up above, above the flood area. Well, the answer is that we're doing a lot of that work now. Um, so if you look at my Selby diversion thread uh, on the Twitters from a while back, you can see that they built that line where it crosses the Wharf uh, Valley. That's uh, a huge long viaduct for precisely that reason. And actually at the moment we are retrospectively fitting uh, viaducts or certainly flood bridges in lots of parts of the country where flooding is currently an issue where it didn't used to be. So where that 100 or 200 year flood, uh, or indeed the 1000 year flood, which is is substantial at this point, frankly, uh, where we're modelling those flood val- uh, levels, we're doing that work now. Um, and, and indeed, people like Alex help inform the railway what that 100 year or 200 year flood threshold needs to be. Um, uh, any other questions popping up now? Let's let's crack. Oh, go on. David Shearers uh, is asking if it's true that the original railway builders were generally great at building structures, but not so good at earthworks. Standards for new redoubled railways require far better retention. Oh, I can answer that one very quickly. Yes, David is. Um, you just have to look at some of the, uh, well, in fact, any of the earthworks on a lot of old railway lines. They've done pretty well, all things considered, but they, they really do... Um, they're struggling, particularly, I mean, for example, the Northeastern Railway used to build everything out of just potash and just ash and and any old rubbish they could get their hands on, and they'd rear tip it, unlike nowadays where we have to design these earthworks. The the majority of earthworks are built, and I'm sure you knew this anyway, David, the majority of earthworks were built by just back tipping, you know, driving a train along the temporary way and just dropping fill in and then putting a bit of extra track on top of it, and then that would be fine. Uh, We don't have that. Um, advantage anymore right uh i'll see if there are any okay so we've got a few questions oh you've got some more flood questions uh to me and to you alex actually is it british practice uh, oh no is british practice as ambivalent about building railway lines on river floodplains as they are in the u.s um and so yeah john christoph is asking whether that we build all our railways in floodplains like they do in the u.s oh yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know actually. We don't build many railways, do we? Yeah, anymore? we haven't. In 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 the on olden days, um, 
I think there was, as you pointed out, uh, our boy, our boy Ransom seemed to suggest that actually a lot of local knowledge was used to avoid floodplains and flood areas. At least earlier on, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. So um, nowadays we do a huge amount of flood modelling uh, before we build anything. In fact, we do flood modelling when we're doing kind of major track realignments, let alone building new bits of railway. Um, right. Okay. So we've got some questions about painting S and C, which we're going to save because we are going to talk about hot things soon. But it's twenty past, and we're going to flick to the next slide. Unless you had anything else you wanted to add about these floody bits, Alex. No, no, that's, uh, I think that's we, all. I think we're there. Some, some I think. We've, we've nattered about these pictures of railways. I think that is the general theme of tonight. Uh, oh, not quite all these pictures of railways. Here's a nice image um, of, well, well I'm gonna, I wouldn't ask who it is because we'll have to wait 45 seconds for the YouTube lag. But um, yeah, that's the Somerset levels. And this picture somewhat shows what that, and we're talking about floodplains. Yes, this was built on a floodplain because the whole of that part of Somerset is a floodplain. Uh, Clues in the name, isn't it? It is the Somerset levels, as in it's at the level of below sea yeah. level. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. So this, this the, these parts meant that I was so when I was training to be a weather forecaster at the Met Office College in Exeter, I was there during winter 2013 to 2014, which was the one of the stormiest winters on record. Um, which is as a, a theme that's going to start to emerge. Is a lot of things that have happened recently have been the worst on record or the wettest on record or the windiest on record or the hottest on record. Very few coldest on records in there, note. Um, and there were no, you couldn't get out of Exeter by train for several weeks. I don't know the, the exact times of it or anything, but for most of the early part of 2014, all railway lines in every direction from Exeter, which is not that many, but I think there's four, were all closed because they'd been washed away yeah, yeah. <clears throat> by the sea or by rivers. So, uh, yeah, it was a it was a very stormy period, and and then in February 2020 we had another wettest period, which was even wetter than February 2014. So these things are going to start; they are already happening more frequently, and they're going to carry on getting frequenter, more frequent, if you like. Frequent? No, I uh, think frequenter is the correct English, actually, Alex. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, I'm also going to drink some water because I'm going to die. Uh, it's really professional we're drinking water at the same time and leaving the silence. Um, uh, it, yep, so I'm going to say that to people in the chat. They're all hammering away. Oh, some people enjoying that. Lovely. Are there any railway lines on dams with the sea on both sides in the UK similar to the Hindenburg, the Hindenburg Dam in Germany? Railways on, on dams. There are a few railways that, na that are now on embankments that basically act like dams. I mean, a bit like the one in the shot, to be honest. Um, the Barmouth, yeah. no, not the Barmouth. What's the other side of Barmouth? The something born. That railway is built on a on a bit of uh, on, 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 on actually built by Dutch engineers because they they drain that bit of land. And if there's a bit of drain land in the UK, invariably it was Dutch engineers that have, that have done it. Um, what's the what's the name of the bit, Alex? South of why is that working like that? I'm just going to bring you up there. Sorry, my tech is playing up a bit. For some reason, Skype is having a bit is in a bit of a mood. Uh, oh no, there you are moving. That's good. Uh, sorry, technical issues, everyone. Don't worry. Um, uh, we'll get back to you on that one, uh, Simon. Good question. Uh, I'll have a think. Uh, Alex is going to get Google Earth up or Google Maps okay. up as we speak. That's it. So the other side of uh, the other side of Barmouth, there's a little narrow gauge railway that used to run out onto the Fairbourn. Fairbourn. That's it. That's the yeah. only one I can think. Oh, and in fact, the um, the same thing happens on the uh, connection of the Blenheim Festinio, the Festiniog Railway, as it approaches Porthmadog. That's also on a on a 
on a, a kind of a levy, I think, as well. Alex, if you recall that bit, you can probably it's, get... It's it's exactly. have been there. Yes, it is. Yes. Yeah. It was in, it's, it, not, it's not got water on both sides unless something's gone wrong. No, no, it's, got, it's not got water on both sides, but I suppose it's, uh, it's a oh, levy no. thing. No, anyway. sorry, I was looking at the wrong railway. There's a, the... The, yeah, the Festinian Railway does. It's got the sea on one side and the river on the other. That's it. So it sort of counts. It's not quite the same. Yeah. Um, generally, as engineers, we don't like to pile too many civil engineering thing like concepts on top of each other. So building a railway, which is kind of fiddly as it is, on top of a dam, which is fiddly and problematic, um, is uh, is an issue. Yeah. Sorry about the icons on Alex. For some reason, Skype normally just makes those go away, but at the moment, it's not doing that. It's leaving them up, which is. Uh, oh. So that's fine. We can still see you, and it's they're, they're only a minor inconvenience. Uh, no one minds. Everyone knows this is a, a only vaguely and loosely um, held together uh, production. So I don't think it will take great offence. Right, next picture. Uh, oh, more flooding, but this time closer to yeah, you. Flooding. So, so the, I mean, we we didn't discuss that much about February 2020 and February 2014, but most of that was 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 weather was stormy rainfall. That was rainfall associated with. Um, uh, areas of low pressure coming in off the Atlantic, for example, and just successions of, you know, day day in, day out of quite heavy rain. None of it necessarily particularly heavy, but just the sheer number of wet days building up and giving a, a huge amount of rainfall over, say, a period of days, weeks or months. Um, and then at some point, everything, the rivers overspill their banks and then you've got flooding. But what we've got here is a, is a, is a Scott Rail train just to the west of Edinburgh last summer. Um, which and this is a very common occurrence and it's becoming more common is very heavy downpours mostly in the summer so thunderstorm downpours um, and these are often um, associated with a, what what meteorologists like to call a, a Spanish plume oh um, which is, um, <laughs> which uh, which um, that's that sort of a very typical mechanism to get heavy thunder thundery rain and stuff in, in the UK and basically it's the reason it's called a Spanish plume is because um, you get a an area of very typically in the summer that the Iberian Peninsula is very hot, as I'm sure hmm. most of you, all of you are aware. Um, but then you get a certain um, circulation of, of the air that, that means that, that that hot air is brought northwards towards the UK. But it's not just the, the warm air that's brought northwards to the UK that's part of the problem. At the same time, you get moist air brought in from the west of the UK. And these these two two areas of air sort of mingle together, and, and basically you get moisture from the sea and air. Uh, energy heat from the from the warm air and that gives you enough atmospheric instability to to trigger seriously heavy thunderstorms ah, okay. um, and, and that's what happened in august 2019 um in central scotland and we saw trains cancel and um, between edinburgh and glasgow on all i think on all five lines were disrupted and there's chaos as you would expect yeah um, I mean, yeah, the, the, the central belt is, is probably one of the areas... I mean, outside of London, it's the only part of the UK that works as a proper urban hub. And the reason for that is because it's got so many lines, now all electrified, uh, connecting Edinburgh and Glasgow and, and the areas in between. But even that area, sorry, one of the most like resilient sort of parts of the rail network was blitzed by this, by this um, kind of freak rainfall. Well, it wasn't freak, but just substantial rainfall event, relentlessly. Um, yeah and, and and these sorts of but so we're discussing about the fact that these are getting worse um but but they're they're definitely not new but they're, they're becoming more common yeah. um so if we look back to 1948 um Ooh. also in scotland 
um, southeastern Scotland. Um, in the, oh, so here first, we go. I've got pictures. Yeah, We've got the pictures yeah. up. The first part of August 1948 um, in, in, the, in the sort of East Lothian and Borders area. So that's, for those of you who don't know, it's out to the, the east of Edinburgh. And it's basically the, where the East Coast main line between Edinburgh and Newcastle runs, plus a lot of branch lines that are no longer there. But they were all, it wasn't just the East Coast main line, it's affected. And between the, the, the first day of August and about a fortnight later, there was just a succession of thunderstorms with something like three or four months of rain fell in, in about eight or nine days. Um, but it, it, And that caused some flooding. But then on the last day of this sort of weather event, um, in 24 hours, there was a 139 millimetres of rainfall recorded at some stations in well, weather really? stations. Not um, in, in in East Lothian, and that and that I mean that that's more rainfall than you'd expect in uh, in Edinburgh, for example, in the whole of the month of August and July and together in 24 hours, and and these pictures show the results. Um, so no matter how well you build your uh, your embankments or your and your drainage, you just cannot handle. Or they in 1948, they certainly could not handle that amount of rainfall. Um, so yeah, the, the washouts and heavy rainfall, downpours, thunderstorms—they're—they're they're, they're not a new thing at all, but they are becoming more common. And um, in fact, I mean, I don't know whether there'll be any washed-out railways tomorrow. I doubt it. But we are looking at there's a chance of some thunderstorms, for example, later this week, as this lovely hot weather that we've, we've been having is moved away by some more unsettled weather from the Atlantic, and we'll see thunderstorms again. And it is already unusually hot for me. Yeah. Um, so these sorts of things are—I'm well, not saying that there's going to be you know it's two months of rainfall in a day or anything but these sorts of rainfall events are definitely becoming more more common. more prevalent more common uh just to, I, I just ducked into my book behind because i realized that we're talking about the east coast mainline there's another good picture we're going to pop in a second but in my pwi handbook uh one of a it's a bit old now but this is i think this is a picture from the uh so that this one here is a picture from the east coast mainline and it's more recent i think it's from the late 70s and it's another washout just that you know and that was part of uh, there's another picture i can't find it in here of an earthwork that's been washed out that looks unbelievably similar to this and it's in a similar part of the um the east coast mainline and in fact there were washouts on the east coast mainline quite recently that i think were in the news that, that don't look you know not quite on this scale but yeah, this is it has happened and it but it's happening within as you say with increasing frequency uh, yeah. which makes my life as an engineer really hard uh, and it makes planners uh oh, let's forget that not no chance i'm fitting that back in the um in there anyway right so what's interesting with this is we you, you got another picture which should interest people which i'm going to click let's get presentation back up so these two you can see uh, it's a familiar sight of of uh of rails hanging nicely with the sleepers hung underneath them even more nicely uh, except that the vertical alignment's done something funny because there's nothing underneath it. Um, and so there's a nice picture here of them putting some stuff underneath it. Rather than reinstating the embankment, they've built a new bridge, which is quite it's a satisfying one. I can't quite see which of the A4 Pacifics that is. Uh, yeah, look at the original for you. If you're, if you're... Yeah, go on, for the, for the nerds. I don't, I don't know if it says... We've got some good questions, actually. While you're looking that up, I'm going to just flick through because we've got a good... Um, yeah, in fact, David Shepard, yes, is the answer, as you can see, which is precisely what they've done. Um, David Shepard asking, would it be better to replace that washed-away embankment with a bridge? Um, so let's have a look. So, okay, there was a good question earlier, which I spotted. Um, Simon Fisher asks, uh, out of curiosity, when do the comprehensive weather records begin? 
So it depends a where you're where you're wanting your records for, and b what weather type you're wanting them for. So the um, I might have to look up the exact dates, but the the Central England temperature record is the oldest temperature record record in the world, and that's been built up. Um, I think it goes back to the 17th century, and that's based on measurements taken in a sort of rough triangle that encompasses, if I remember correctly, something like Bristol, Birmingham, and Oxford. If that even is, I mean, it's a triangle. It's got three points. You know, that's sort of the middle of England, basically. Yeah. And then that goes back to I think 1659. Oh wow! Um, okay. It's still maintained by the by the Met Office. He's, he's googling uh, now. But was this one of your exam questions when you became a weather person? Yeah, I think it might be actually. <laughs> um, so that was a good question. Thanks, Simon. Um, uh, Alex so is sort of. I mean, to be fair, you've answered that pretty well. To be fair, what was the date? Sorry. Uh, uh, hang on. Oh, it's fine. We'll talk talk amongst 16, yourselves. 16 something. Um, 16 something. Temperature is relatively easy to measure. Other things don't go back as far. And so we've got lots of rainfall data back to the Victorian period, but actually the, the comprehensive rainfall series that the Met Office used to make um, climate um, statistics and stuff, I think, only goes back to about 1910 currently. But it's, it's a case of digitizing old paper records. There was a... So, the, so I spotted that on Twitter. There was a massive digitization campaign yeah. for rainfall, which I think concluded. I think they managed it. Yeah, it was. They, they've done. They've done ones before, but this one was like a lockdown one, and they they released a load of um of paper records and got people to to digitize them. And yeah. yeah, and they got you know got vast amounts of work done in a few days that would have taken a couple of archivists years. So it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah. So rainfall, not as long as temperature, but basically we've had reliable things like that for at least 100 years for most types of weather. Um, satellites, not so much, obviously, for obvious reasons. Um, the first satellites were launched, the first weather satellites were launched in, in, the, in the late 70s or mid to late 70s. So we've got about 35 or 40 years of satellite records of, of things like uh, ice caps and that sort of thing. Yep, yep. Um, right, so uh, let's see. Also, oh, Matt Reed's asking, are there not specific drainage pipes on or by a track, um, or is it just left to drain through the ballast? Yes, we do install uh, track drainage um, on anywhere where, you, well, as much as we can. Obviously, it's an extra thing to maintain, so you have to be sensible where you, where you propose it, but where you've got hollows in the track, so vertically, if you've got a hollow in the track, um, or if the track's sat in a cutting, uh, so there are, if the tracks sat where my hands are in a cutting, then you need drainage to get the water out of there. Uh, and indeed, if it's on level ground, you, you need to generally, you might often have drainage to kind of get water clear. So, yeah, we do design drainage specifically for railways. Um, right. Uh, your fan is going absolutely mental in my ears, Alex, but it's, that's fine. It's the same. It hasn't changed. It's the same. It's just Skype. Skype's just not in a happy mood today. It's keeping the icons on your thing, not getting rid of them. And it's it's not your fault. It's just Skype being a... Uh, right we're going to put a, a rather upsetting image now up of um of, uh, well yeah i think hopefully most people on the who are with us uh, at the moment we've got 60 people with us at the moment live um hopefully most people are familiar with this image um and i'm sure alex will say lots about it but i'll just introduce obviously this is the this is a bridge collapse that happened in wales it was on the on the heart of wales line right or was it on the or was it on the yeah it was line Central Wales line. Central Wales line, sorry. It might well be the same thing. In any case, um, it's in Glanrid, and uh, 
basically this changed the way that we do bridge inspections, but particularly bridge inspections and uh, particularly scour assessments. So that's where water is scouring away at the piers that support the bridge. Um, totally changed the way we do that. This was sort of for the structural engineers, the bridge engineers, this is one of their pivotal incidents. Um, and it's changed the way that we um, it's, it's changed the way that we do engineering quite substantially, um, thankfully for the better, but with kind of the tragedy, you know, look up the crash report on Railways Archive if you want to read about the tragedy that was this, or Google it, it's on Wikipedia. Anyway, so this, I mean, clearly water has had something to do with this. There's a field in the background that's, that's wet, wet. There's, there's, everything's wet, and there's, there's what appeared to be maybe a, a smaller river now appears to be sort of a raging torrent. Um, yeah, I was going to yeah. say, people in the chat are, okay, the one that's stuck up in the air isn't the one you need to worry about. The one you need to worry about is the one that's totally submerged and you can just about see a corner of it stuck above the water. So, yeah, it was a, a two-carriage DMU on the on the Central Wales line and that's the River Towie yeah. in Glen, Glen Ridd, as you said. So this was in October 1987, which weather-wise is a lot more famous for um, something else. Fish. Um, so, yeah, fish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so Michael Fish uh, doing his, his best ever forecast, which was technically correct because it wasn't a hurricane. Uh, although the message given across was, did sort of encourage people to be a bit more blasé than they ought to have been, I think. Um, but yeah, so this was October 1987. Um, and so obviously the wind across the south of England was the main feature, but with big windstorms, you often or almost always have significant amounts of rainfall too. So um, southwest Wales was hit by about two to eight inches of rain um, on the 17th and the 18th of October. So that's in proper modern units, eight inches of rain is what? Uh, uh, eight two, in, yeah. two millimetres is something, 150 to 200 millimetres of rain. Yep. Um, we were discussing before, that sort of amount of rain is, you know, you're looking in terms of how much rain normally falls in a month. Um, even for Wales, that's that's probably like a month's rain. I don't actually know what the exact amounts are for that, that part of the country, but it's a lot of rain. Mm. Um, and that all just went into the into into the rivers. There was there were lots of other impacts that were just sort of as sort of fairly usual impacts. You know, ballast being washed out and other lines being um, being disrupted and flooded and stuff, but nothing quite as extreme as this. Um, and and what they found afterwards um, was that it was it was just the sheer amount of water, obviously the sheer amount of water going through the bridge, but it was actually um, scouring, like you said, Gareth, scouring under some of the piers. Only, only demolished one pier, but then when that collapsed, it sort of twisted twisted the rest of the bridge um, and took the whole thing with yeah, it. And yeah, yeah. Sort of gone effect, and then obviously once it was weakened and in the water, then it was. Um, and the train ran onto it whilst before it had, uh, it had already collapsed when the train arrived. The train yeah. was running at five miles an hour. Um, yeah, it wasn't a high speed. This wasn't a high speed incident. This was this was it was dark. And, and they in fact, you know, you can read the report in great detail about what happened. But I think a lot of it was that it, it was pulled over um, the, 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 the DM, the first car, of the DMU went over um, and it just pulled the whole lot round and obviously very rapidly was submerged and and um yeah not not nice not nice for passengers we've so i mean other people are pointing in relation to scour at bridge piers yes a lot of people are, are um are referring to the um uh up at where was it it was 
Lamington, uh, uh, north of Carlisle, where the where there was the failure, um, a similar a similar problem, which closed the West Coast Main Line for a long time. Um, um, oh, there was a scour. So this was a, re- a bridge being closed because of a flood event resulting in scour. But because we've improved our scour assessments, um, we're on top of it. Although there was a bit of dubious, there was a bit dubious because we were. The scour assessments should have resulted in maintenance, not the railway getting closed because there was a problem. So that that's another event that's happened more recently that's made people. You know, it's a bit of a loss, a bit of a loss of corporate memory, um, as always happens when you disintegrate an industry. Um, and uh, as a result of that, yeah, they, they they were a bit behind on the maintenance. Uh, Network Rail, perhaps, or yeah, sorry, Network Rail and Dumping Unit. Network Rail hadn't spent the money they needed to at that bridge, you know, um, uh, and as a result, the scour resulted in it being closed. Uh, rather perhaps than a, than a temporary speed limit and because the or rather it should have been fixed already essentially is what what had happened there so another bit of a wake-up call um but but had been an exceptionally wet period of yes weather hadn't it yeah like, was when it, was that that was late 2015 i think or early 2016 yeah it would it, it was a yes a very, it was yeah 15 yeah, because it was like Christmas time, wasn't it? Basically, it was like winter holiday time or something close to it. Was that right, or was it Boxing Day or something? Anyway, this whole rail matter has been a wild conjecture on dates, but don't worry about that too much. Um, right, next, uh, have you got anything more you want to say about about this? I suppose the, the the thing, the key point with this one, unless you've got anything else to add, is is that this is this is this shows that weather has substantial consequences if we don't get it right both from predicting the weather perspective and also from an asset management perspective. Like you need to know what your structures are doing to make sure that they're ready to deal with whatever weather is going to happen. So they're doing the very best they can. You cannot, we cannot have a railway. When people say, oh, we spend too much on maintenance or, oh, we've, we've, we're building our railways to be bomb-proof. We are going forwards into the unknown world in terms of how much, you know, what weather events are going to throw at the railway. So running a railway right at the, at the knife edge of finances is a perfect way to kill more people by having a failure because a weather event has come along that you couldn't predict. So we need to be ahead of the game when it comes to maintenance and indeed ahead of the game when it comes to how good we build our, how well we construct our, our earthworks, our structures, you know, our, our drainage um, and so on. Sober, but a serious point. So stop, spend more on railways, government. Uh, there we are. Alex, any, any, any last thoughts on flooding? I think we're, I think we're moving on to the next one now. Right? No, I think move on, yeah. Yeah, move on. So, landslips. Uh, oh, crikey, landslips. The thing in the background there is not a weather-related landslip, but I would recommend looking up the, um, the, 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 the big slip that happened at Folkestone Warren um, during the First World War. Google that. I think I've done a thread on it, in fact. I've done a thread on everything. You know what I'm like. Anyway, landslips. So we're going to talk about landslips. Anything you want to say while the background is orange, Alex, or shall we move on to the pictures? Yeah, so land, landslips that you, that you said you sort of talked about triggers earlier on. Um, landslips are interesting because they can be caused over very short time period, periods of time. So you can have a heck of a lot of rain falling in a short period of time that saturates the ground, causes a landslip, and then maybe derails a Class 66, taking stuff to Fort William um, or something like that. Or you can have ones that are, are, are slower events that are reacting to sort of sodden ground over a period of months um, or even I guess perhaps even years if you had some bad drainage issues you could have things being saturated and even if that wasn't to do with extreme rain you could have things seeping in and undermining your structures and then starting to or undermine your embankments or something and then you've got, an, you've got a landslip so yeah they're not, they're not they're not strictly weather but 
they're like you said they're often caused by or at least contributed to by weather yep um before we move on i've got an interesting question from david shepherd which is quite a good one because um so weather forecasters often talk about inches of rain um and it's maybe right. it's worth you explaining what that means because it's not about everywhere having an inch of rain so i'll, I'll let you explain what an inch of rain actually right. kind of means so, well, um they say inches they should say millimeters yes but, uh, true um so what what that means is is the amount of rainfall that is falling over a unit area and with let's just say a meter squared if you spread the rainfall that was for if, if you if you could if you could collect if you put a square tray that was a meter squared for example it doesn't actually matter out in your in your garden for the duration of the rainfall that is being spoken about the depth of the water would be the amount that the the forecasters are saying so you know 20 millimeters of rain will be 20 millimeters deep across across your tray um it's handy though because also certain european countries talk about kilograms per meter squared of rain and that ends up being the same number so a million one millimeter of rain is one kilogram per square meter yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, because water, don't... very conveniently, uh, a ton of water is a is a no. That's a terrible way. A thousand kilograms, uh, a ton of water is is like a meter a by a meter. So it's so it makes yeah. the numbers nice and easy. Um, but uh, so um, but the, the the rainfall is extremely variable. Um, amounts there of rainfall are extremely variable. So over a very short distance, you can have wild variations. Even if everywhere's got soaked and it's been rained on for the same amount of time, the actual amount of rain, if you could tea trays out that were perfectly level and receiving this uh, rain for the same amount of time over a, say a county or a city or something you'll find that the very the variation will be quite significant so when weather forecasters talk about amounts of rain in inches or millimeters it's usually it's a sort of a a, a medium amount for that area and um, which of course is 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 exposing one of the flaws of weather forecasting is that we you can't be right for every for yeah. everywhere and you can you have to you have to decide do i do i do i give the forecast that is going to be about right for as many people as possible you know most places will get 10 millimeters of rain but what if one place gets 100 i mean that's that's quite unusual but it's, it's not impossible at all mm. and that place that gets 100 we've been talking about events that have got 100 yeah. millimeters in and washed out embankments so if that 100 millimeters of rain falls in somewhere that you don't want it to um even if your forecast for 10 millimeters for most people was completely valid it's, 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 so it exposes a real difficulty in, in communicating risk. And that's not unique to weather forecasting, but it is particularly public. Yeah, um, yeah. People, people, are, people see that, and you know, weather, weather forecasters get a lot of stick for getting it wrong, um, myself included, and sometimes that's been very justified. But a lot of the time it's more to do with how we're expressing risk and who for. Um, but in short, millimetres of rain, put a tea tree out, and that's how deep you how deep your water will be good explanation thanks very much indeed um and which which david shepherd has now pointed out an interesting observation which is uh, they've just thought about that water going into a into an embankment is extra kilograms uh, inside which increases the weight of the embankment that isn't quite uh, and then you say providing extra lubrication in the soil um yes it's not as you say it's not the mass actually it's it's what we call um the the poor water pressure within within earthworks it's about the lubricant essentially the soil particles as you increase the poor water pressure you're 
um, reducing uh, the friction between soil particles because they're getting further apart. And as you reduce those interactions between soil particles, you're uh, reducing the shear strength uh, or you know a variety of different strength parameters, but one of them is the shear strength. So as they pull, as those particles come apart, um, it means that the the earthwork can support less less for uh, less stress through it. You might get a collapse. Um, I could go on about earthworks for a long time, but we're going to get Claire Brint on at some point for a rail matter, and she is actually a root asset manager for earthworks for Network Rail. So she's who to listen to, not me. Uh, we're going to move. So we're going to. Uh, move on because it's 10-2 and we are probably not even halfway through so we're going to hammer through the slides a bit so here's a thing that's happened to a ScotRail 156 and it's in it's Glenfinnan I think that's a landslip yeah um, near Loch Eilt so it's near near, near Glenfinnan yeah so this was January 2018 um, so Gareth sent me this picture and didn't you and, and we were sort of thinking oh has had it been massively wet and had it been you know was it an unusual um winter or you know season was it particularly stormy or something like that no is the answer to be honest with you yeah, so we looked, yeah. the, the couple of months preceding uh, november and december 2017 were both about average in that part of scotland um january itself so this was towards the end of january january itself was also in terms of precipitation average um a little around a, a little colder than average in terms of temperature but in terms of rainfall it was pretty pretty um like i said pretty average but what that may have masked is the fact that you know you you could get all that rain could have fallen in one day or mm. and it could have been what caused this landslip i don't actually know what caused it apart from a lot of soil falling onto a train yeah. uh, <laughs> But, it, but the point is, you can see, I mean, you can see the water pouring down in the middle. It's a very good illustrative photograph of, of yeah. landslips and the fact that that water has appeared from the sky. So it shows that the, that the fact that the rainfall and uh, earthworks events, bad earthworks events, um, are intrinsically linked to each other. Um, and as you say, yeah, in this instance, it might not... It, I think in the crash in the report, the crash report. I think there was a, a massive spike in a localized, a sort of time localized spike in rainfall that meant that. I would, I would suspect that. So January, late January two thousand and eighteen was quite unsettled and quite cold and very snowy mm. um, in the west of Scotland. So things like the 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 M seventy four was closed with thirty to forty centimeters of snow drifting across it, of sort of about a week or two before this, and it had been a pretty a fairly cold month with uh, you know plenty of snowfall and obviously now we're looking at this photo on the later on in that month there isn't very much snow apart from sort of above you know 700 meters or something on those mountains behind so obviously that snow is melted yeah. um so even if even if that snow fell over a long period and was about average for the average precipitation if it all melts in one go that has the same effect as very heavy rain so it will have saturated the ground and and perhaps you know done stuff to the poor pressure that you're talking about that yeah and, and yeah and again temperature yeah those rapid changes in temperature that result in a rapid melting presumably i don't but presumably there is a likelihood that those again will increase in frequency the likelihood of a rapid change in temperature increases in frequency with climate is that something that we're going to see more of as the climate continues to change I th I, yes i think so it's we're going to see an increase in extremes and extremes yeah. tend they're extreme because sometimes they're extreme because they're a prolonged period of something, but a lot of extremes are very sudden. Um, and if we've got extreme, extremely or unusually warm weather 
over Europe, for example, and we're sitting in average weather in a winter with some snowfall, and then that warm air is able to be brought northwards towards us, then the temperature is going to go up by a lot, and that sort of thing is going to going to happen more frequently, I think. Um, what, what Gareth and I were chatting about this a little bit before, and it's basically you've got to imagine a sort of a, a very spiky, not a sine curve, but a spiky graph that's going like that. So the, the points, the dips and the peaks and the troughs of that are, are, are your extremes. Your mean is something fairly bog standard in the middle. Yep. Climate change is the, the mean is not is not level anymore. Climate change is just tilting. Actually, I tilt it that way so people can see it. Climate change is tilting it, so the the, the average is going up, and that means that the the high extremes are getting higher, and the low extremes are getting mm. also getting higher. Um, add to that the complicated mechanisms that mean that these extremes are becoming more frequent. And yes, so short answer to your question, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Right. We're gonna. So so. Um, so this is a great picture for, for making that point, but I think we can talk a little bit about um, this is Eden Browse, is that right on the on the Settle Carlisle line? Um, yeah. Uh, and yeah, again, this is a, so this is a major major bit of earthworks failure that happened. So it previously, essentially, essentially, you had a cutting wall, even though that cutting was the side of a mountain. Uh, you had a cutting wall failure. Here you've got a, well, actually a mixture. You've got both. So you've got a cutting wall failure on one side of the um, the railway, but chiefly this was an embankment failure down towards the River Eden, I presume, Eden Browse, yeah, down towards the River Eden. Yeah. Um, and I think this picture shows, so this is the work, this is partway through the work to fix the problem, and you can see the scale of the of the collapse here. So the previous picture, you've got, they've actually lifted the, the rails here, but you can see that the by the, the key clamp uh, sort of, uh, you can see by the key clamp fencing there that's just all bowed outwards that there's been a fairly major slip and a big gap has appeared. So you can see the colour of the ballast just behind that wooden fence goes a bit darker. It's because basically a big gap, has, a crack has opened up where all the ballast has fallen in. And then you can see this picture, the scale of that failure, huge collapse of material. Um, and and then there you can see they've had to totally rebuild. That's partly wash out from the river. Um, but again, the river, so you can see there's lots of things at play in earthworks. Partly you've got um, rainfall and desiccation in the summer, opening and closing the, the earthwork and the earthwork sort of suffering, the health of the earthwork suffering. And if you've got extreme rainfall events, you might well have a river washing out the foot of the embankment as well. It's the whole sort of caboodle. Um, so Alex, tell us what you know and found out about Eden Browse. Well, I, I had a look at, so I don't know anything about the engineering of it, but I had a look at the preceding month's rainfall amounts. And I don't know if anybody remembers back so this was uh, february 2016 this happened um and november and december 2015 were exceptionally wet in northwest of england particularly those were named storms i think storm desmond was one of the, the big ones and then it was <laughs> storm frank as well and then there was one that began with e in between i don't know what it was called um so it was really 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 wet so it basically so it wasn't Rain, heavy rainfall over a short period, which may have been what caused the Glenfinnan one previously, but it's heavy rainfall over three months, three really wet months in a row, and that's given the given enough lubrication to the to the earthwork, or you know, decrease the pore pressure enough to to have For it all to go. Yeah. Did it go fast? Was it or was it a sort of a creepy one? It was. It I mean, earthwork failures are are. Generally, most earthworks, again, Claire would correct me on this horribly, but I think most earthworks failures are generally quite slow. 
So yeah. that they'll. So it's not like a sudden dramatic slip of earth that happens all of a sudden. Although I think possibly the the previous one was. But even brows, generally, when you see them, they're happening over the course of maybe. There's a, often the thing's already moving. So actually, there's a no, often there is already a failure that's happening, and and the engineers know about it. And all they need to do it's slow enough that all they need to do is drive is drop a bit of extra ballast and just tamp the track up to the correct position. So they'll monitor that over time. There are loads. I mean, probably sixty percent of the earthworks in Britain are doing that. Um, that's just how that's how the world you know soil settles over time. Uh, again, I made sixty percent up. Don't shout at me, Claire. Sorry, um, but. Uh, so what happens is that often things that have already been moving very slowly or steadily, or maybe they haven't at all, the movement like this happened over the course, course of maybe two or three or four days of sudden like movements of lots of centimetres all happening at once. And that, I mean, it doesn't matter for a train whether the movement's happening un- dramatically under the train or uh, f- over several days in front of the train, the result is the same. It's not going to support it if it goes over the top. Um, so this one, I think, was a, was a, happened over the course of two or three days, I think, that there was this massive movement of, of material under the railway. And actually what they did here was build a viaduct. So that's no longer technically, from a structural perspective, that's no longer an embankment. It is a viaduct with soil under it. So they put a massive raft. They buried a massive piled raft underneath um, to put the railway on top because, frankly, the whole lot and the hill above is just going to continue. So actually what will happen is the soil above will continue to move underneath the railway towards the Eden, uh, the River Eden underneath. Um, yeah. Right, OK, I'm conscious of time. We've got two minutes to go. You, everyone, I got told off for apologising for running over because people seem to enjoy it. We're running over again. Sorry, people. Uh, right. Uh, where are we? Oh, in fact... Stats. Oh, right, yeah. There's some stats for winter 2016, and you can see uh, that part of Cumbria had more than 170% of the average rainfall per winter. And that's so that not... winter, in this, winter in this instance is, is December, January, February. So that actually doesn't include November mm. 2015, which was also exceptionally wet. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, and, yeah, and that moisture is just not going anywhere. If you've got, you know, you just, you just not in, not in February. It's not no. Yeah, um, drying it out. One hundred and seventy percent, and that's not that's not over fifty. That's not a fifty-year average. That's only that's the nineteen eighty-one to two thousand and ten, which is the standard. So when yeah. I was doing a lot of stuff for the Midland Mainline Electrification Project, that sort of seems to be. I, I learned this from looking at loads of these specific pictures. Actually, nineteen eighty-one to two thousand and ten is like the sort of standardized average that everyone uses to measure against, right? That's, 30 years is, is deemed to be a long enough period by the World Meteorological Organization to, to look at climate rather than weather. weather. Okay, yeah. um, and and uh, for some, well, I don't know when they actually started with these, you know, these 30-year ones that always start with a year beginning with a one and then end with a zero. Yeah. Um, but when I remember when I was being a snow nerd at university, it was 1971 2000, to 2000, and obviously it's since been updated. And after this year, we'll get a new one. Oh, yeah, that's um, true. Oh, yeah, yeah, good point. Um, we've got lots of people asking snow questions, but I've told them that we're going to save that for the snow next time you're on. We're going, to have, just, we're just going to have 30 pictures of snow plows, uh, and that'll be, that'll be the whole thing. Um, yeah. And I'll also buy you a new mic for your birthday. Uh, so what else? Oh, so, so Waverly Wonder, I'm conscious of time, but no one cares. So Waverly Wonder, apart from you, Alex, like, okay, if you need to tap out, tell me, and we'll go on super quick. It's not going to take too much longer. We're not actually getting, it's not that much left, I don't think. We're all right. We're all right. Um, Waverly Wonder asks, how much of this is due to poor drainage design or maintenance? Um, in often cases, there is no viable drainage. Whether it's been installed or not, it might well have been forgotten. 
uh, and lots of times drainage is just not funded. The drainage teams don't get enough funding. That's not necessarily so much the case anymore. I think there's a realization that fu- that drainage is incredibly important for our railway, which is why Ian Prosser, uh, Her Majesty's Inspector of Railways, made a big point of the, of <coughs> control period six, so the five-year funding period from 2019 to 2024, uh, being about renewals. And he was talking about structures and earthworks and drainage in a big way. So Network Rail has had the biggest funding settlement of its entire history. Uh, the railways are getting more spent on maintenance than ever they have, um, certainly in, in the last sort of 80 years or so. Um, and that's focused on renewals. And a, and a large part of that is earthworks and drainage. Uh, now, thanks for bringing that map. That was good. I like that. I, I like seeing these because uh, that's that's a very dark, spectacular, big bat- patch of blue, um, yes, which, I, which in this context looks bad. Right. Oh, the sea. We're going to get in the sea yeah. for this last section. Um, yeah, here's the last <laughs> section. So we're doing all right time-wise. The sea. This is Saltcoats, isn't it? David Shearers is still on. This is one that he'll recognise. David Shearers is based in, in is our is our Scottish representative. Uh, although actually we have lots of Scots on. So yeah, so you're not alone, Alex. Uh, the sea. What do you want to say about the sea, Alex? Well, the sea is is very powerful, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, um, that's tonight's epiphany. Yeah, it's very deep, and yeah. uh, um, and, and it's, it's quite heavy. Higher. It's heavy. It's heavy. Yeah. And it's and it's 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 rising, um, so um, basically, even if you even if you don't believe that the ice caps are melting, hint they are. Um, yeah. Even if discount that completely, the simple thermal expansion of the oceans is going to account for quite a significant amount of sea level rise over the next few decades. So um, yeah, so if you, and then you think about the extremes that are at the peaks, you know, the highest level, the highest tides, or the biggest waves, they're just going to be a bit higher too so everything that was built to protect railway lines from the sea like this seawall at salt coast is going to need to be taller um as as, as the sea level rises and um, yeah the, the sea is a it's a, a tricky one thankfully i suppose there isn't that much railway line in the uk i mean there's obviously some very significant bits but there is we're not talking about hundreds and hundreds of miles of it that are exposed are we yeah exactly yeah it's, it's um there are only a few sections where the railway is, like, as you say, right against the sea. But actually, consider there are a fair few, and all of them are problematic. Saltcoats is one. You can see the, the work that's gone on for the, the uh, coastal defences here, um, the, the, the Cambrian coastline, the Cumbrian coastline, you know, the, um, on the yeah. west. Uh, Dawlish is the famous one. Um, yeah, so what's, what are we going to talk about next? Ah, OK. OK, so oh, I've just talked so about the west, but actually the east. Tell us the about east. the east. So there isn't... I don't think there's necessarily so much railway line in the east that runs right by the sea, but there is this great big flat place called East Anglia, um, which, as I'm sure many of you have heard, in 1953 there was a, a very serious um, event, the East Coast flood. So these and these didn't just affect East Anglia; they affected the whole of the east coast of, of the UK, and even worse, affected the Netherlands, Belgium, and low-lying parts of. Um, uh, northwestern Germany as well. I suppose it probably affected Denmark and other flat places up there too. Um, and so this was a, this was a, a storm surge combined with uh, a storm surge combined with very high uh, spring tides and a really strong northerly gale. So what what happened is you what, what you need well basically the North Sea is is perfect for for this sort of carnage. Um, under the right circumstances so in if you get a very strong northerly wind 
that pushes the water from the big wide bit of the North Sea, sort of in between Scotland and Norway, and it moves southwards and it gets narrower. And it also gets shallower as well. So basically you've got a great mass of water being pushed from the north, heading southwards, and then the sea gets shallower and narrower. So it gets the, the sea level rises. So that is partly partly what you call the, the storm surge. Yep. Um, you also had very strong northerly gales. The East, East Anglia sticks out into the... So it's kind of... If you look it's north the big bulgy from, bit, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. If you look north from Wells next to the sea or, or Cromer or something, you're almost looking straight to the... To the Arctic, I think maybe I should have to look oh, at the really? map to check. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, but I mean, there's nothing in the get way. Google out, everyone. Straight. Yeah, you're looking straight up, and there's nothing there before you get to some something far away in the Arctic. So there's a lot of a lot of exposure to northerly wind, and it's all very low lying. So in 1953, you know, a few years after the war, you know, Britain was still rebuilding, or Europe was still um, rebuilding a lot of um, uh, backlog and maintenance and, and that sort of thing. Um, and basically, this was a, a, a disaster that really came at a pretty bad time. Um, Saturday, the thirty-first of January, is when it happened, and um, this storm developed out across the across the west, to, out, out to the west of Scotland, tracked across the north of Scotland, and then deepened. The area of low pressure became more se- severe, and then ran south eastwards into the North Sea. Um, Another thing about storm surges is if you've got an area of low pressure, you by the nature of it you have areas of higher pressure either side. And if you've if you've got low pressure bit in the middle that's sitting right over the sea, the high pressure actually pushes down on the sea more than the low pressure just because of basically gravity. If you've got low ah, pressure, okay, there's yeah. less your head. Um, so the sea le- the sea level can rise by a significant amount in the centre of a deep area of low pressure. Add to that the wind, northerly northerly gales. And the shape of the of the of the of the, the North Sea getting shallower to the south and narrower to the south, and basically. But there was wasn't there also wasn't there a particular tide? Didn't it coincide with the? Uh... Just disastrously happened on on the a high tide as well. Yeah. Yeah. But it was uh, like it was like a spring. Wait a minute, was it spring or neap? Whichever one is the spring tide, it coincided. Yeah. Um, I mean, you obviously get high tides every twelve hours, but um, during spring tides, the highs are higher. And the lows because the, the moon's closer. Because the moon's that... closer or something. I don't some know, some but... physisk <laughs> or something. Yeah. <laughs> something. To, yeah. But it basically, it was bad. The the combination of those factors and the fact that East Anglia is very flat meant that 145 miles of railway was flooded or cut off. Um, and sadly, over 300 people lost their lives in yeah. the UK. Um, many, many more than that lost their lives in the Netherlands and. And Belgium, well, Belgium was about similarly affected as the UK, but the Netherlands was as had many, many people died Catastrophic there. Catastrophic for the Netherlands, and, yeah. Um, and the the other thing to remember is that there were no warnings. Um, nobody knew that anything was happening. The, the weather forecast was very basic, mm. um, so there was they knew there were going to be gales, but there was no way of telling everyone. And and then even once it started happening, you know, because it worked its way down the east coast of, of the UK. So, you know, it was extraordinarily high tides in northeastern Scotland causing damage, not to the railways as such, but, you know, causing damage and flooding and so on. Yep. And they had no, there were no mechanisms in, in place to, you know, telephone the Met Office and say, oh, by the way, the tide's five metres higher than usual and we've got a, a northerly gale at, at 75 knots with the six metre waves breaching our seawall. There was no way of them 
sending that southwards. And even though I suppose people would have been listening to radio, there was pretty widespread radio listening at the time. Widespread, but it was very basic. It wasn't. There were only two or three channels, I think. There wasn't much going on. Um, And in terms of, but but as you say, actually getting the communication to central to the BBC, if you like, to 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 send the communicate out, just wasn't. Yeah. And then, and it was, and then, and it was uh, night time a lot of it, of course, as well, wasn't it? it was overnight, yeah. Um, and and um, one thing that the railways were good for, and have, is they've got telegraph systems in place, or they did do, mm. um, but those were all taken out as well across across the area that was was flooded. So even if they'd wanted to, and in a lot of cases they weren't able to to communicate. And yeah, like I said, 145 miles of railway was flooded or, or cut off. Um, I dare say that if the exact same thing happened today, there wouldn't be 145 miles of railway to flood because a lot of them have been closed. Yeah, yeah. It's still, it was still a, a huge amount of network. Oh wait, we've got a map. I can show people that. Here it is. Map. Yeah. So that was sort of the area, the area of the extent of the of the damage. Um, so, and interesting is, you know, we're talking about climate change. Could this sort of thing happen again? Aside from the fact that there are fewer railways there to flood, could this sort of flooding happen again? Well, it it kind of did happen again. Yeah. Um, in December 2013, there was a, a, a great big storm surge that was almost very, very similar uh, um, circumstances to, to the one in 1953. A area of low pressure moving in from the northwest, running down the North Sea, coinciding with spring tides, northerly gales, all the, the recipe was there to, for, for real serious damage to, to, to happen. But partly because the sea defences had been built up so much since the 1953 flood that really did um, you know, expose how, how exposed the, 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 the coastline yeah. on the western side was. Also, the, the, there were great big warnings. I mean, I was, I was working at the Met Office at the time and we, there were discussions about the risk of it, you know, 10 days in advance and, and various, you know, the environment agency were, were aware of it, you know, over a week in advance. Um, and it was in the way, news a lot, so they were warming people yeah. up to it, so it wasn't a surprise, so people had already got bags packed and things, like there was... Exactly. I mean, you were there, you know, I think hundreds or maybe even thousands of people were evacuated during this one in 2013, and homes were flooded and things, but it was nowhere near as bad, and crucially, nobody lost their lives, yeah. which is the thing, I mean, isn't it? So, um, uh, so yeah, could it happen again? Yes, yeah. but thankfully the we've 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 taken steps to to stop it being so bad. But, yeah. but the step, I suppose it's a so it's you're constantly ra- you can never stand still because so the Thames barrier was fully active that 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 during that event. I yes, I, I might be misremembering, but I think possibly didn't sea level actually get even higher than it was in 1953 on in the recent one. Places, in some places, it got higher. Was um, it just locally dependent on all the pressure and all yeah, sorts of different things? I, I think um, in. Um, it actually was quite a bit higher, I think, in in places that weren't as badly affected in 1953. So I think the northeast of Scotland recorded some even higher tides. Um, really? Okay, yeah. We have a an article open here somewhere that uh, discusses it. But anyway, yeah, it was it was actually in a lot of, in some places it was worse than 1953 in terms of the the size of the waves and the level of the sea. But the damage was much 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 less so that's... yeah yeah um yeah so so uh and, and you know so it's a race against time because as as we you know the 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 thames barrier was fully it was, it was basically at full tilt as it were or the opposite of full tilt whatever it is when it's acting as a dam against london you know, against the sea for london um that's now like it won't manage that again if given climate change and if we have that in another 50 years 
it will not, you know, we're looking at the, the solution to replace the Thames barrier, for example, um, given that the sea level rise is, is, is at current trajectory going to be a lot. Um, yeah. And so all the railways are next to the coast are, are under substantial threat from this, uh, from, from the sea coming and causing problems. Uh, for example, this one yes. here. So, yeah, I'm sure everyone will know where that is, won't they? Yeah. Um, for for the people then... who are listening and aren't seeing, because I'm conscious that I, I do this dreadfully, we have a lot of people who, we have some people who, who listen to this but don't watch it because there, it is on a podcast form. Uh, this is Dolish. Uh, it's a nice curved bit of railway with some kind of traditional looking or sort of Victorian sea kind of coastal resort looking places and some quite summery looking kind of uh, resort trees. And it's getting battered by two things. One, the colour grey and two, the sea. Um, and there's a lot of sea on the on places where it shouldn't be, like the railway that's running through the middle of it. Yeah, so this this was in... Uh during the winter of 2014. Um, so this was another one of the other reasons why I couldn't escape Exeter and um, by rail. Um, yeah. in, this was the westward direction was blocked by by the sea doing its worst to, to Dawlish, um, which was at the time, I remember the media coverage, you know, it was unprecedented, it was terrible. And it is, it was really quite unusual, the severity of the, the sequence of storms. But a quick look in my book by Mr. Ransom, says that, you know, this part of the railway was washed out in uh, 1960, 1962, uh, 1974, 1988, so it's it's not a new phenomenon, basically, at Dawlish. They built they built the railway line along next to the sea, and then the sea does what it likes, essentially. Um, but this but this incident in 2014 is just a a, a flavour of what's to what's to come more frequently because this was just this the sheer number of storms that that came through was unprecedented. It was the stormiest winter in the UK, and, and you can and, see what happened by any uh, metric use it was the stormiest winter pretty much yeah and so um so we flick on to the next picture and here we have uh the th we're getting to know this so earthworks what they do is your horizontal alignment normally does all right but it, it wrecks your vertical alignment you know what a mess that is i don't want that sagging vertical curve in my alignment um and also there's nothing underneath the track uh so there's some nice g44 sleepers and some 56e1 rail by the looks of it uh, and some fast clip lovely new p-way but it ain't got any ballast under it, and I can say, as a as a as a genuine bona fide senior permanent way design engineer, that that's not good, and it won't make trains work over it. Um, so yeah, that's a right old bloody mess, which is why they're totally rebuilding it, uh, and it's not going to look quite as nice as it did. But the reality is that the the it's it's only a temporary solution, and the railway, even if as the hope should be, and and, and I know there's a group working on this and lots of people working on uh, reinstating the northern route uh, round the back via Campton as the main corridor for the west for the for the Great Western Main Line, um, or the, the kind of uh, down towards Plymouth. Even then, you're still going to need this railway to run for the kind of suburban services because actually it's quite a busy suburban commuting corridor, and so they're going to have to do hefty physical work there. Um, yeah, so that's a bit of a mess, really, isn't it? 
And in fact, one of the houses has collapsed in the background too, although it's yeah, not in this picture. There was a small matter of a house falling on, the, falling on it as well, yeah. yeah not not mm. the best. So that's no. quite <laughs> a lot to be done there. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I actually walked along there um, a few weeks before this happened on a, yeah. on a really nice day. <laughs> one of the, I think there were about three nice days in the time I was living in Exeter, six months. And uh, one of them, a few of us went down to... Dawlish on the train and walked along to to Tinmouth and, and it was really nice. It was lovely. Mm. It was we had no idea what was going to happen in a few weeks. It was even though we were weather forecasters, it was uh, yeah. a lovely yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's um David Shearers has already pointed out. Yeah, there are substantial current plans for Dawlish. Uh, I won't go into them in detail because frankly, I don't know exactly what the total what the total extent of the plans are. But uh, they're fairly. There's a lot of money being spent. Uh, and it's only really a short-term solution. The Network Rail acknowledge that it is only a short-term solution. Um, right, so that's Dawlish. Oh, heat, oh, we're not even... I forgot about heat waves. Oh, God, heat waves. We're in one. Well, we're not in one. It's just a really hot day. Yes, I mean, I think everyone will probably remember 2018, the heat wave. So we don't have any particularly exciting pictures of railway lines in heat waves, do we, Gareth? Because Cause actually, there are no good pictures of buckles. Yeah. I think we've got a picture of a temperature anomaly here, though. Yeah, so this was 2018, and this was the the, the mean maximum temperature anomaly. So, you know, as you can see, over pretty much the whole of the UK, with a few small exceptions, it was at least one and a half or two degrees warmer on average for the whole of the summer. Um and what does that actually mean on the ground? That means in the southeast of England, for example, where the densest collection of railways is, um, you're looking at the maximum temperature being the high 20s or low 30s most days for three months, yeah. which was pretty much what happened, right? Yep. Um, and when you, I mean, you'll know more about this now, Gareth, but I remember doing weather forecasts for, for, for the Northern Irish Railways, and we used to have a little little thing that would calculate the rail temperature yeah. so we would put in the air temperature and then it would spit out a number that was the the maximum rail temperature that would be achieved in direct sunlight and you know if you'd start putting numbers like 33 celsius as your maximum temperature air temperature the rails were going up to sort of i don't know what you know more well about yeah tonight. i remember well, i remember you sending me emails about this because i was working on i was working on middle main line at the, at the time i think it was quite early on in my railway career so i was very much buried in middle main line electrification um, uh, and um, uh, yeah, 20 degrees. You can expect the rail temperature to be about 20 degrees above air temperature, um, on, and that's not unusual, you know. Um, so if you've got 33 degrees air temperature, then you can expect some of your rails to be getting up to 53 degrees Celsius. That's hot. Um, and bearing in mind that 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 even the best P-way can start big, you start needing to put speeds on in the UK at 59 degrees for decent for like brand new track so you know g44 sleeper is well maintained ballast shoulders all this stuff uh 59 degrees is where you're starting to look at and put speeds you know put speed restrictions on and all this stuff um for knackered jointed track with you know rubbish falling to bits s and c uh like the approaches to victoria station say or waterloo station where you've got lots of old uh, old uh, junctions but it's super hot because you're in the middle of london so it's even got the microclimate of london on top of that um, you, you, that's why you're closing railway lines. You know, the, 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 the temperature at which you're having to slow, you know, put five mile an hour speed restrictions on and watch people is 
that is 10 degrees below the rail the expected rail temperature at that point so yeah big problems this is a big problem and so uh, if anyone wants to know about the, the rail buckling in more detail um I've written a media, and I'll probably share it again this summer when it gets really hot. There's a medium piece that I've shared that I can put a link to the, or if you just go to my medium page, medium.com slash Gareth Dennis, you can find that. Um, and I describe what we do in the railways. I'm not going to do it now because time, and it's already 20 past. But um, yeah, rails. Here's a picture of a buckle. So kind of on that theme, Alex, here's, here's some track. And this is, what, this is what a track buckle actually looks like. It doesn't do the, the nice parabolic swing thing that, that you'll often see. Um, in, in kind of generic track, or that I use in my lectures, track buckles normally look a bit more like this, where it just, it's the track alignment's just become completely pants. And if you've got a slow um, kind of freight or, or rural line, it's perhaps not a problem. If you've got 125 mile an hour main line, or if you've got some switches and crossings, S and C in amongst it, and those pop out of alignment, then that means you're going to derail trains. So that's why we don't like track buckles. Actually, you can see here that the ballast shoulder. There's some lighter grey ballast that's been dropped uh, on here, but the ballast shoulder here is rubbish, uh, and so it's it's not it's not it's not good. That track alignment's gone to hell because it's gone it's gone buckly, uh, and that's so. As I say, if you've got a really complex track layout like this, so this is a I think this is the Great Western Main Line looking out of um, uh, Paddington, um, but you can see the, the the amount of switches and crossings and intersecting track gets even worse where you've got complex track layouts, you know, um, uh, slips and things. Yeah, hot is bad, and it's and it's and there's not an easy answer to it. Slab track isn't the answer either, although it's potentially a way to help. Uh, there's just not an easy answer uh, in countries where they've got bigger extremes. They have to restress twice a year for winter and summer. We don't want to get there because that'll be, we, well, the government will fold. They'll, they'll just say close the railways before they let us do that. Anyway, sorry, I talked a lot, Alex. Say more things that you can think about, or, or have we basically said everything about well, hotness? We've said quite a lot about hotness, but. The, the main thing is that this is going to happen more often and the hot bits are going to be hotter. So, you know, what we would consider a, a really unusual heat wave now um, is going to be, by 2050, is going to be a normal summer. Yeah. Um, so, summer 2018, I mean, and I, and I know a lot of people will be celebrating this because summer 2018 was great if you like going outdoors in sunshine. Yeah. Um, but I mean, if you're a farmer who wants to not have to irrigate their crops or you're a rail engineer or anything else like that or a health service that's concerned with old people mm. um that sort of summer is a serious serious concern and that's going to be normal in, in yeah yeah you know, year 20 or 30 years um last summer wasn't quite so ridiculous in the uk in terms of you know unbroken sunshine for weeks and weeks but we did have some extremely hot weather um even though it was a bit less, it was a bit shorter lived than the, the previous year. But um, I think last year the, the highest temperature ever recorded in the UK was recorded. And embarrassingly, I can't actually remember what it was, but I think it was 38 point something somewhere in the southeast. The old one was 38.5, I think. And the new one was 38 point something a bit higher than that. So, so I mean, you know, rounding errors, it's about the same, right? Yep. Um, but, you know, that, that that previous record had stood for, for a, a quite a long time i think since 2006 so that had lasted nearly you know nearly 15 years or 13 or 14 years um, and then it, it fell last year on the year after a very long hot summer mm. no idea what this summer is going to be like but today we've already seen the temperature in the southeast of england get up to i think the highest was 28 in uh, in um santon down and in uh, i think that's in suffolk 
yeah, and yeah. you know high 20s elsewhere um, and it was 23 in edinburgh so that's pretty unusual and at any time it's not yeah. exactly it's not exactly common to get that in edinburgh any time of year but i think time of the summer, a really good visualizer yeah a really good visualizer of this is those those wonderful graphics that are just pixel lines referring to each um each year and the temperature anomaly for uh, each year the stripes and and it's just getting redder and redder the, the frequency of those red stripes is just um yeah it, it's so it's not like this is just oh it's just a random short oh it's just a little flutter no 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 no. there's a very clear trend towards this becoming the new you know this is our new normal is everything getting hotter um so in terms of from an engineering perspective the first thing we can do is renew all of our old knackered switches and crossings which is generally the weak point where buckling's a problem um but also funding our maintenance teams to be able to maintain track alignments to go out tamp uh to make sure everything's stressed properly make sure we've got our stressing records up to date asset management yes investment in and renewals are important particularly around london where you've got lots of very complex track layouts but um asset management is is the key thing and it's the same for all the different sectors it's not just rail it's the same for all the different kind of um infrastructures across across the country uh, managing your assets is really important so here you can see this picture shows um i think it's the london bridge approaches uh, and this is what new track work looks like if you ignore the stupid third third rail sparkly blow your foot off rail uh, in amongst it um this is the future it is modern well-maintained snc you can see the alignment's much nicer it's uh Concrete sleepers, not not timber. Tim, sorry, concrete bearers, not timber bearers, which holds the track in place better. Um, but without maintenance, this would end up looking like the previous photo. So you have to maintain it as well. Um, uh, so Toby Farman saying they stress rails in high temperature countries. We stress rails here. That's we, all of our rails that aren't jointed. Uh, we stress them. That means we we cut them, pull them together, weld them. So there's a constant tensile stress in the rails. So that as it, as they get hotter, it's not that you're increasing the or up to 27 degrees Celsius, which is a stress-free temperature. Up to that point, you're not increasing the compressive stress; you're decreasing a tensile stress. But over 27 degrees, you're introducing a compressive stress. Now, where's a bit of water? Water, paper, rails look like this. So they, the rails are very thin and very long. If they if you you tensile tensile they deal with tensile forces very well. I'm pulling this apart; keeps its shape the slightest bit of compressive force and it buckles, right? So uh, managing rail temperatures is really important. Anyway, I'm not gonna talk more about that because Alex is just gonna fall asleep, which is, I've never put a guest to sleep before, but if it's gonna be one, it'll be Alex. Um, oh, right, I put in a slide about wind, but we're not actually gonna, I mean, all we can say about wind is, yes, wind is bad too for railways. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah. But again, in terms of increasing frequency of wind, if we have more storm events because of climate change, I suppose that brings wind with it. But I think we chatted earlier and you said that, the, that there's still research into precisely what the impacts of climate change are in terms of, in relation to, to, to wind more broadly, Alex. Yes. Yeah, uh, so there's actually, in, in severe wind storms, there's, there's not much trend detected. So in terms of rainfall, there's very much a clear trend. Uh, and temperature, obviously, um, but windstorms uh, have, have, have always happened. We have had, you know, things like the winter of 2013 to 2014, which washed away Dawlish, very stormy. Um, perhaps winters like that, perhaps windstorms will become, you know, cl you get closer packed windstorms one after another, but perhaps the, the effect of each individual windstorm might not be any worse. So the compound effects might well be worse, mm. but the windstorms on an individual basis might just be, your same old common garden winter gale 
Yeah. However, yeah. There, there is, there's an awful lot of research going into that. I don't know really much about it at all in terms of what, what what's going on, you know, specifically looking at how how that's going to be affected. But uh, yeah, wind is bad for railways and that's that's a fact. We know that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, this is a case where you've got um, some really rather flimsy OLE that's that's up there, some old series one and a tree's fallen onto the OLE and made a right old mess of everything. Uh, so when, yeah. this is why we don't like trees right next to the railway as well. Um, you know, again, it's an asset management issue. Keeping the keeping tr- trees, big trees away from the railways is it's good from a drainage and earthworks perspective because trees suck up a lot of water. Uh, which, and uh, and then don't uh, at other times of the year. So they actually change, the, they, they desiccate and increase, and de- they cause a lot of swell to earthworks, so trees are bad for that reason. They're also bad because they blow onto your OLE. Uh, anyway, right, so we're horribly smashing the time record, but we, we're just yeah. going to finish yeah. with the forecast. So the forecast, yeah. The forecast. Um, so, disclaimer, I, I no longer have access to the, to the Met Office big brain computer thing, so... <laughs> This is just <clears throat> scratched straight off the internet that anyone can get. But um, obviously today the weather was lovely in the UK, at least, or most of the UK. I did hear on the radio that the Northern Isles were uh, cold and damp, or at least damp uh, today, which is uh, unfortunately quite common up there. But anyway, everywhere else was lovely. Um, but tomorrow, uh, so there's a big area of low pressure out to the west. Low pressure is not not great if you like sunshine, let's put it that way. Um, but we've still got fair bit of high pressure over the the, the european continent um, and basically we're in, we're in between so tomorrow's a bit of a transition day we're heading we're, we're transitioning from lovely high pressure sunshine to more unsettled low pressure um, and then friday that's happened so the the blue line that's a cold front we've had some frontal rainfall that's crossed you know the whole of the uk and it's going to be windy as well on Friday. So if you look at the the, the black, the thin black lines that have got numbers on them, they're, they're isobars, they're lines of equal pressure, um, equal a- atmospheric pressure. And basically, if they're closer together, that means that the pressure gradient is stronger and therefore that means that the wind is stronger. Um, so in a nice area of high pressure, like you can see on there, sort of out across um, the Baltic, the, the, line, the, the, the pressure lines are quite far apart, light winds. Over to just the west of Ireland, for example, um, the lines are very close together. So we're actually going to see very windy conditions um, on on Friday, particularly over the north and the west of the UK. Saturday, um, that low pressure is still in charge over sort of the north of the country, um, but high pressure is building back in a little bit over over the southern side. So we're going to see, you know, basically the further south and east you are, the better. Um, northern and western parts are going to be pretty windy with rain and showers coming in off the off the Atlantic um, but it's not all doom and gloom for the week it's a Friday yeah it looks pretty bad uh, Saturday not so great if you're in the west if you go on to Sunday Gareth um, so I've had to switch to a different um, different weather provider here because the Met Office doesn't go beyond Saturday so this is the European um, Centre for Medium Range Weather Forecasting's chart and this is Sunday, so the high pressure has built a bit more. So basically, Devon and Cornwall, South Wales, Ireland, looking pretty good. Um, cloudier further north. Um, and again, wind's still, still quite breezy. Um, and plenty of showers, particularly over western hills and coasts as well. Um, but less windy over the south uh, with that high pressure in place. And then finally, because it is a, a bank holiday weekend, or as we call them in Scotland, a public holiday, um, by Monday, so on Monday it's a public holiday, uh, high pressure has built right back in. So 
that low pressure has sort of been banished. It's sort of headed off. It's zoomed off into the the the, the you know the Norwegian Sea or something. Um, still quite a lot of low pressure out to the northwest, so out of shot across Iceland and Greenland and so on. But over the UK, um, a nice bit of high pressure. So winds dying down. Um, probably pretty warm again um and should be mostly dry on monday so monday looks pretty good um but unsettled on on friday unfortunately so some wind so maybe some trees will blow over onto railway lines hopefully not but um you never know and next on rail natter alan's deep bath there we go. Thanks, thanks for the uh, thanks for doing the weather for us there, Alex. That's quite good. Everyone was really enjoying us dropping into like the the weather mode there. I I, I need to get you on for the weather after each one. I'll, I'll start employing you. I'm pretty That's out it. of practice. Yeah, you can you can you can you can give me a give me a give me a pint a month or something. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And drop yeah. you can do it once a month weather forecast. Yeah, that's it. Nice. Um, Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Alex. That was, that's been great. I'm sorry I've hogged your time for half an hour more than, than, than I originally promised, but it's becoming it's the norm. I told, you that an hour, I told you that an hour would disappear, right? I said that an hour would just yeah. absolutely evaporate, yeah. and it did. Um, thanks to everyone who's joined us again. This is another massive rail matter. People tell me off for apologising for it running over, but I feel like I should since I theoretically say it's broadly an hour. An hour and a half is like a feature-length film. Oh, no, it's not anymore, is it? An hour and a half is like a long Netflix episode. Uh, Feature-length films like three hours now. Anyway, uh, as usual, uh, this is available as a, as a podcast. So thanks to all the podcast listeners on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and the other one I always forget the name of. Uh, thanks to Heel, who uh, always uh, puts these together, puts them onto the podcasts. Next time, we have Melanie Osborne joining us to talk about signalling, or rather getting trains from A to B without crashing into stuff or each other. Um, which should should be exciting for a lot of you because a lot of people have been uh, excited about uh, signalling and wanted me to talk about signalling. I can't talk about signalling because I don't know anything about it. So we've got an expert to come in and talk about it. So Melanie's going to come and talk about that. Um, uh, oh, uh, Patreon, as ever, if you want to vote on or decide on future Rail Matter themes, that's where you need to go. Go to my Patreon and support me there. Laugh at P-Way being the way that... Uh, my tier system works uh, and also you can you can throw me coffee and or coffee and paypal stuff as well if you fancy it uh, and that allows me to do more of these and buy buy better mics from me but also buy better mics for alex Priestley as well if he's going to appear in the future uh, and um yeah that is so let's let's go back to side by side so we can yeah just thanks very much indeed alex for joining us um well, it's been a pleasure i hope you've enjoyed yourself that's all right yeah it was good i enjoyed well, it Hopefully you'll have me back for for my for my so I can be a, a real snow nerd and we can talk about my favourite thing, <clears throat> which is snow plows. Yeah, we're going to talk about snow plows and also that time that or that those two times that we or possibly more. But anyway, the two times where we avoided being caught in genuine snow rail disasters uh, over the Highland oh, Mainline, like yeah. particularly over slough. That's that's the, that's the laugh that we're. In fact, both times it was a slough related thing. It's just that this the, the one of the times it was because gravity. Anyway threw a train at us at full speed from the top of slot anyway right that's been that's been alex Priestley and me we've had a rail natter you've all been brilliant that's been great uh i'm gonna just say cheerio and all of you get to laugh when i find the button that that is the what button i have to press to end this but no no i i found it it's here see outro static slash silent professional as ever thanks everyone see you next time for rail natter bye